Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 13 as we continue our study of this gospel of Matthew. We're in the middle of a study of the first of the parables, the parable of the uh, sower, which starts with the beginning of chapter 13, and we'll pick up with verse 18 to 23. Last week we commented that nothing is as easy as it looks, and that certainly is true of Jesus parables is generally and especially the parable of the sower. Last week we took note of the fact that this is a parable about God's kingdom. It tells how God is, is pleased to advance and grow his kingdom, that his ways are not our ways, his methods are not what we expect, but he grows his kingdom by the simple planting of the seed of his word, which then grows and produces fruit. We also made a point of the fact that this is a parable about parables. It introduces us to the fact that God in his sovereignty is bringing to pass exactly what he ordained. So the purpose of parables is not just to make the truth clearer so we can understand it and believe it. It's also to make the truth more obscure to those who refuse to believe and understand. Therefore, we can expect some negative response we heard last week. So far, we've only viewed this parable from a distance. We've considered these giant concepts of this kingdom of God and God's secret sovereign will and how he works that out. But what's God telling us? What should we do in response to this parable? Well, today we learn about that. For today, we talk about the, the various soils into which the seed falls. And those soils represent us. Here, Jesus teaches us that God holds us responsible for what we do with the seed of his word that we hear. Let me read the text. Matthew 13, picking up with verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This morning I have just really one point, which is back in regard to the four different soils. The one point is simply this. Cultivate your heart. Cultivate your heart. Kids, if you don't know what cultivate means, that means tend to it. Tend to it like you tend to a garden. Take care of it. Cultivate your heart. The seed of the gospel, the seed in this parable is the gospel of the kingdom. The soil is the human heart. There are many ways people respond to the gospel, different soils into which the seed falls. And those responses will determine the outcome. So cultivate your heart. As we look at the various responses, I'm, I'm going to use the term suggested by James Boyce, who's one of my uh, heroes in the ministry, and he wrote a, a commentary on, uh, on this, or, and, and, uh, and I'll use his terms for the four kinds of heart. The first is this. 
The first soil represents the hard heart. The hard heart. There's four of these. The hard heart. Verse 18 and 19 again. Listen to what the parable of sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Here the seed falls in a place that it never gets a chance to germinate at all. Because it fell on ground that's been trampled down for years. It's snatched off the ground and eaten up by the birds. So is the word of God, which comes to a person with a hard heart. It's never understood. It's never taken seriously. It's never even considered. It's never acted upon. It's just gone. The evil one figured out a way to snatch it away. So how does the soil of the heart get so hard? It's not simple. Sin. That's how. Sin. Romans 1 describes how this works. We refuse to have God in our thinking. Suppressing his truth by doing what he says not to do. By doing evil things. So God says, okay, you want to do that? Do that. He gives us up to our evil hearts to do whatever we want to do. As we do, our consciences become more and more seared. Our conscience becomes trained to not bother us anymore when we sin. So we dare to sin even more. And we approve of others doing the same things. Therefore, God gives us up even more to our evil desires, to our own destruction. He hardens our hearts. So that when the seed of the word comes, we don't even notice. It doesn't seem worth any further thought to us. It just bounces off of us. For our heart is not soft like a plowed field all ready to receive seed. It's as impervious as a hard-packed road along the side of the field. Thus, Satan is able to snatch God's truth from our minds before it ever takes root and begins to grow. May I suggest that in our day we're particularly vulnerable to this. Of course, we don't even believe in Satan anymore, for the most part. So we see no threat from him. We're not concerned about some wily devil that might outsmart us. At the same time, when it comes to religion, we, we think we've heard it all before. So when the seed comes, we say, oh, it's another sermon. Somebody preaching something at me. I don't know what it is. I don't care. And we disregard the seed. We just toss it away. So when the good seed is sown, we may not even be listening. And that's why we complacently go on about our business, the seed of God's word, which could have changed our lives, bounces off our heart, heart and snatched away by the birds, so to speak. So when I call you to cultivate your heart, you cannot resist God. A little here and a little there, suppressing his truth, refusing to have him in your thinking, and then suppose that your heart is not going to be hard. You're building calluses on your soul every day, every time you choose to sin, every time you put God out of your life, every time you pit your independence against God's authority. I challenge you this morning, cultivate your heart. You don't want a hard heart. Jesus' soil represents the shallow heart. Verse 20 and 21. The same one who receives the soil, the seed that fell on the rocky places, 
is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Many of us have seen this scenario lived out in the lives of people that we know and love. The seed of God's word is sown, it springs up to life. And suddenly uh, we see this person every Sunday. And uh, they, they seem to be taking the Lord's claim on them very seriously and, and claiming to believe in him. And we're encouraged. And then all of a sudden, the person just disappears. And whatever happened to so-and-so, somebody asks. And somebody says, oh, he got upset about someone and something and he quit coming. Or someone else says, I heard his mother died and he's mad at God. But folks, true faith grows stronger, not weaker in the face of trouble. Consider the growth of the church in China. In 1948, all the missionaries in China were forced out of China. It's estimated that there were about 5 million Christians in that vast country at that point. And then the persecution began. And it got really intense. And it became very costly to be a believer. People started dying for, your faith, for their faith. So, so what happened? What happened when, that, when people started dying for their faith? Did that number of Christians just dwindle away? Oh, no. The church grew. It's really hard to pin down the estimates, but the estimates nowadays of what the church, uh, of how many Christians there are in the church in China, it's not 5 million. It's, it's uh, 45 to 65 million, and a lot of people say it's 90 or 100 million people that are Christians in China, where you still will likely go to jail for your faith. But you see, Trouble only shrivels up the shallow heart. Real faith grows even stronger in the face of trouble. But make no mistake, shallow Christianity is all around us. As the expression goes, it's, it, it's, a, it's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. For many people who sit in church every Sunday, there's barely ever any expectation that God's word should send its roots deep down into the soil of our hearts where our values are formed and our commitments are made. Instead, people expect God's word to provide only the most superficial emotional boost, a, a, an uplifting feeling. It's all we expect. But the result of such shallow hearts is a lack of perseverance when things get tough. The scorching heat of opposition, the cold winters of adversity will cause a faith that looks so promising to wither and die when it's growing in a shallow heart. This morning, I especially challenge you young people concerning shallow hearts. I'm impressed with young people these days, with the expertise you have. The math that you study, many used to study when they're in college, you had in high school already. Your knowledge of computer technology is greater than probably all of your parents. Again and again and again, you've shown that you're capable of rising to great challenges. Except at church. At church, there's an assumption that in order to talk to young people, you have to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so they can understand that you need the simplified version that they might not be able to learn real biblical teaching. And too often what passes for youth group is nothing but froth, an entertainment-rich caricature 
of Christianity. But you who are young, you are certain to face trouble and temptation with an intensity that your parents never imagined if you haven't already. And this morning I'm telling you that shallow faith will shrivel up and die in the face of that. You must grow deep and strong in your faith if you would survive. You must. When my daughter lived in Florida, she had some friends who actually came out to see us. They probably came to see her, but they came to our house. Jonathan was a guy's name, his wife's name is Jessica. In the course of our conversation, Jonathan told me how he'd come to faith in Christ. He went off to college and he had a professor who on the first day of class, the first day of class, asked for a show of hands of all in the class who call themselves Christians. And so all the Christian kids uh, dutifully raised their hand, uh, happy to bear witness of their faith in the, in the secular college. And then this professor systematically and ruthlessly dismantled their faith, which had not prepared them for what they encountered in college. You must cultivate your heart. Shallow faith will not do. Just to finish the story about Jonathan, this is his story. Jonathan wasn't a Christian when he went to college. When he sat in that class, the course began. But the ferocious attack of this professor sparked his interest. Why is he so angry at these Christians? So he got a Bible and he began to study for himself. And as a result, he became a Christian and he went on and grew. And he became, actually, he's in the ministry today. He's a pastor of a church. Because he made sure that his faith would never be the shallow kind of faith that you could just destroy so easily. Cultivate your heart. The third kind of soil that Jesus represents the strangled heart. The strangled heart. Let me read verse 22 again. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns and who heard, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke unfruitful. Once again, Christ's word is heard and there's a response, but, and, and there appears to be life. But there are so many other things that compete for life. There are other commitments. There are problems which demand attention. And of course, you have to make a living. And before long, the new life is getting squeezed out. Those other things are taking all of our available time. Worse yet, those things are consuming our thought life, the vitality of the inner person. Though some semblance of faith may remain for some time. Soon it is difficult to find it among the weeds. It's lost in the undergrowth of living. So the seed never bears fruit. It's just strangled by other things, good things often. Such is the person who allows the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of money to timeshare with his life in Christ. This picture of the unfruitful seed should stop us in our tracks. 
For folks, this is us. This is the American church. It could be anyone in this room. Our heads turned by the glamour and the cares and the money making and the, all the stuff of life. Oh, biblical accounts of strangled faith are everywhere. Think of Esau. For the sake of his hunger, just had to have something to eat and was sold his birthright for that. Think of Samson, consumed by his lustful desires, destroyed himself. A life God had wonderfully gifted, squandered for the pleasures of the moment. Or think of Demas, who had the privilege of caring for the apostle when he was in prison, late in his life, at the end of his life, and Demas up and left. We went back to Thessalonica because he loved this present world. That's why. So the book of Hebrews calls us to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with patience the race set before us. Similarly, Paul tells Timothy to be like a soldier who's careful to not get entangled in, in the civilian life so that he can please his commanding officer. That's Jesus' instruction in this parable. Cultivate your heart, lest it be strangled by the weeds of the world. Dear people, we really need to hear this part of the parable. We live in a rat race of activity and a consumer-oriented materialistic culture which thinks things which mercilessly put the squeeze on our faith. But God will not continually be put on hold because we don't have the time frame right now. Nor will God share his glory with our heart's affection with the world's treasures. You cannot serve God and stuff your wealth, your comfort, your status, et cetera, et cetera. I love the lyric of one of Rich Mullen's songs which speaks to this issue. He says, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance we owe only to the giver of all good things. Cultivate your heart lest it be strangled to death with the cares of the world. Finally, one more kind of soil. The fourth soil represents the open heart. The open heart. Look at verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You see, the open heart is like soil that receives the seed and grows like crazy. You see the progression in this verse? He hears, he understands, he grows, he produces fruit. That's how it works. It's not magic. This is a normal experience of the open heart. The heart cultivated and ready to hear God's word, ready to grapple with its meaning and its application to myself, ready to change in order to do what he says, and ready for the selfless work of bearing much fruit. So is your heart open? Are you ready to receive whatever God has for you? Or do you already have your defenses in place? When, you're, when you hear God's word, do you allow it to penetrate you deeply? To send its roots down into the deep recesses of your soul? 
to address not just the external things, but the hidden motives and the unspoken goals and, and, and your basic strategies of life? Do you meditate on it and chew the cud of it until you've digested fully its life-giving nourishment? Is your heart really unconditionally open to God's word? Or is it just for this prearranged schedule, one hour on Sunday morning? Perhaps your heart is not really open. You wish it were, but you have to honestly admit it's really not. It's hard, or it's shallow, or strangled by the world. So what can you do about it? Well, let me quote Jim Boyce. He says, the answer is that you can do nothing. Encouraging words, nice, isn't it? Nothing any more than soil can change its nature. But although you can do nothing, there is one who can. The divine gardener, he can break up the hard ground, uproot the rocks, remove the thorns. And that is your hope, not you, but the gardener. Notice what he says to the prophet Ezekiel, who wrote to the hard-hearted people of his day. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your purities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit on you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. This morning I challenge you to give attention to your heart by coming to the Savior who is able to change you from the inside out. Something you cannot do for yourself. That's a sentiment expressed in a very earthy terms by a man named Joseph Bailey, who's gone now. In, a, in his poem, A Psalm of a Gardener, it's a prayer. It's been my prayer lots of times. Let me share it with you. Make it your prayer as we close. Lord of the compost heap, you take garbage and turn it into soil, good soil, for seeds to root and grow with wildest increase, flowers to bloom with brilliant beauty, Take all the garbage of my life, Lord of the compost heap. Turn it into soil, good soil, and then plant seeds to bring forth fruit and beauty in profusion. Amen. Let's pray. This is our prayer, Father. Not that you just give us a boost that we would be motivated to go and make something of our lives, but we'd open ourselves to you, the gardener, who can even change the soil, even using all the garbage of our life. Oh, Father, work in us that we might prove to be good soil, open, 
May your seed find root and grow, produce fruit in us as you see fit. Take your word and grow it in our understanding as we think on these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we come to the Lord's Supper, we're going to confess.